You're listening to the Women's Health Cast, a podcast about issues and innovations in women's health from the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. I'm Jackie Askins. Opioid use during pregnancy is happening more and more across the country, which can lead to some complications for moms and babies. On this episode, UW-OBGYN Maternal Fetal Medicine Fellow Jackie Adams talks about opioid use disorder, some safety concerns for using opioids while pregnant, and a new program she started to help support pregnant people in treatment for opioids. Today, I am sitting down with Dr. Jackie Adams, a Maternal Fetal Medicine Fellow in our Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, I want to talk to you about um, opioid use during pregnancy, but before we get started into that topic, um, what brought you to maternal fetal medicine? Well, I sort of knew from the beginning that I wanted to be involved in caring for moms and babies. Um, I actually thought about neonatology for a little while. Um, And then when I was in medical school, like so many other things, I had a really great mentor. And he just kind of pulled me aside and he was like, no way, you're going to be a maternal fetal medicine doctor. And um, I really just sort of fell in love with the fact that we get to do everything. We get to be surgeons, we get to be internists, we do a little bit of rheumatology, a little bit of GI. um, And at the end of the day, we have this really unique patient population that nobody else wants to take care of sometimes. And that's what really attracted me to it. You are doing some really interesting work in our department um, with opioid use and pregnancy. So I guess to lay kind of a good groundwork before we before we really dive into that, what what are opioids? Sure. So this is kind of a it's a tough question to answer because they're a huge group of medications and substances. Really, the sort of most basic answer is that an opioid or an opiate is any um, derivative of the poppy plant or the opium plant. And so those can be both natural and synthetic occurring. So in general, opiates are things like heroin, opium, morphine, codeine, and then sort of their synthetic partners are things like Demerol, oxycodone, Percocet, fentanyl. Um, and all together, they make sort of a huge and diverse family. Why why are these medications used? When do they pop up in the course of patient care? Um, I would say 99% of the time these are medicines that we use for pain control, sedation, but mostly pain control. Um, and so most people will encounter this class of drugs at at least some point in their lives. Um, And then there's sort of the spin-off illicit substances of that, which is really where it becomes a problem or the abuse of prescription pain medications. So, yeah, so we'll talk about the intersection of opioids and pregnancy mostly. Um, Is there any amount of opioid use that's safe during pregnancy? Sure. You know, we encounter, like I said, most people will encounter this class of drug at some point in their lives, either after a surgery or an injury or, in our case, childbirth. Um, And even in pregnancy, it's okay for a very short prescribed amount of time. So, you know, we get a lot of questions from other subspecialties like an emergency medicine, surgery, you know, what is a safe level? And really the answer is it's chronic use and um, chronic use and withdrawal in particular that are dangerous in pregnancy. So it's really more the dependence or sort of the dependence plus the abnormal behaviors that go with it, which we call addiction that are a problem. Are there any uh, moves or 
um, attempt in like pain management during surgery or anything to kind of minimize opioid use for pregnant people? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's been sort of a nationwide shift in the way that we look at opioids because of the opioid epidemic in this country. Um, You know, we work on things like maximizing alternative medications or non-opioid or non-narcotic medications, like after vaginal deliveries, after C-sections, and even in our gynecology patients, trying to make sure that we're setting reasonable pain expectations and really teaching people what pain goals we're looking for and how to treat at home to meet a reasonable level of pain while avoiding um, prolonging or adding to the opioid epidemic. I wanted to talk to you because you launched a program um, here to support pregnant people who are in particular going through treatment for opioid use disorder. Um, what What is that? What is opioid use disorder? So we hear a lot about addiction and a lot about drug use, and I think What's really important to clarify is that there's a difference between physical dependence and addiction. And addiction is really the physical dependence that it comes along with medications or heroin, um, along with sort of abnormal behavior that's involved in it, meaning it starts to affect other parts of your life and you sort of don't care about the repercussions. Um, Again, I had a really great mentor when I was a resident that was um, an addiction medicine provider and psychiatrist, and um, she did this great talk called Addiction 101, and I always refer back to that when I explain this to people, and what really happens when you have an opioid use disorder or an addiction of any kind is that sort of the frontal cortex of your brain, which should tell you food is really important and taking care of your family is really important, all of these things um, and sort of the limbic part of your brain all get shut down, and sort of your number one goal becomes whatever that addiction is, and this This is particularly true in the opioid epidemic because it has the ability to shut down that level of higher reasoning. Um, And so not to mention you feel really lousy if you're having opioid withdrawals. So um, it really is a sort of self-perpetuating cycle of thinking that this is your highest level of need and finding behaviors to meet that need, even if it adversely affects your life, if that makes sense. Yeah, very much. How, how common is this in general? Um, well, unfortunately, the opioid epidemic in this country is very common, and it's sort of propagating along the country. And, you know, everything comes in waves, but this has been one sort of national health crisis that has just continued to climb. Um, some of the most recent numbers from the CDC are that um, actually in 2015, 27 million people reported misuse of opioid-containing pain medications. Um, and... I think the last time I looked in 2014, there was an increase of about 30% in heroin use in women alone. So it's, it's very common in the general population. And I think the reason I got interested in this is because, you know, at least 50% of these patients are women and 70% of them are of childbearing age, which makes it sort of very much a maternal fetal medicine and obstetrics problem. Do we have a sense of numbers of how many pregnant people are affected by opioid use disorders? 
Yeah, so we have some numbers. Unfortunately, if you look into this a lot, there's some good reporting about neonatal abstinence syndrome, which I think we'll talk about later. But um, as far as reporting opioid use disorder in pregnancy, it's just really not that well reported. It's kind of our best estimate is that about 4% of pregnant women have had some sort of illicit drug use in the past 30 days. And about 1% of that's probably opioid related. And another 0.1% of that's probably heroin related. Um, just to give you a general idea of the states reporting this problem in Wisconsin, and we fall, you know, sort of in the five to eight women per 1,000 deliveries that we do are affected by this. Now, you know, again, that's based entirely on the level of accuracy of reporting. I can tell you here, generally, um, when we've looked at this from the Fresh Beginnings Committee, have seen about 50 to 60 babies a year that are scored for NAS. That's not a perfect representation because those are the only the babies we catch before we go home, for one thing. Not to mention, we don't sort of know what the inspire or um, inciting event for that is as far as mom goes. So I think five to eight per 1,000 may be a little bit of an underestimate, but that's sort of the best data that we have for Wisconsin. Are there, um, are there physical risks to the pregnant person who's using opioids? Really, the biggest risks, um, and I think this is kind of a common misconception of opioid use in pregnancy, isn't necessarily the use itself. It's really withdrawal that's the problem. So, um, you know, there are obviously things that come along with opioid use disorder, but really the biggest risk with opioid use in pregnancy isn't necessarily the opioid use itself. It's the um, risky behavior that comes along with it. So things like sharing needles, injection drug use, um, passing back infected back and forth infectious diseases, um, women that engage in risky sexual behavior in order to pay for this. Um, not to mention often they have poor nutrition, substandard housing, and we could argue for a long time about which led to which or what caused the epidemic versus how it affected them. But it's all about harm reduction strategies for the most part. Um, Actually, the biggest threat to pregnancy, and again, I think this is a common misconception, is the chronic relapse um, and withdrawal cycle, relapse and withdrawal. So it's actually that withdrawal that can, uh, makes sort of sympathetic and parasympathetic instability in mom, meaning that, you know, they become nauseated, their blood pressure can go up, um, they sort of have all the other like crawly symptoms of it and that's what then leads into the relapse cycle and so you know we know and this is all based on very old case reports and not very many case reports that that can be dangerous to pregnancy because it can lead to things like placental abruption um, and you know just heroin use in general can lead to babies being small um, and to preterm labor so I think it's all about sort of the surrounding picture to the pregnancy and not just the opioid use itself. So you mentioned a little while ago um, neonatal abstinence syndrome. What is what is that? So neonatal abstinence syndrome is a phenomenon that we've known about for a while now, and it's when the baby born to a mom that has chronic use of opioids has withdrawal symptoms once it's born. Um, and this can look like a lot of different things. Babies can be sort of fussy. They can have difficulty with eating. They can have uh, sort of tremulousness. All those things that we see in moms that are going through withdrawal, the baby can also see. Um, and, you know, this has really sort of been sensationalized in the media. And there, you see all these headlines that 
really draw a crowd, right? So babies born with opioid addiction and things. And um, Ritu Bhatnagar with Addiction Medicine, I think, is someone I work with close, and she always says, can a baby really be born addictive? You can't have negative-seeking behavior when you're a baby. You can have physical dependence that can lead to symptoms that are distressing, but a baby really can't be born addicted. So that's a clarification I really like to make for my patients is that, you know, we see these headlines and they grab attention, but what they also do is make moms feel really lousy about something that may be outside their control. Do babies who are born with neonatal abstinence syndrome have some unique care needs in their, like, the earliest part of life? They do. And actually, we're doing a really, compared to surrounding um, hospitals and compared to sort of national averages, we're doing a really great job here at Meritor of taking care of these babies. And I give all that credit to the pediatricians because they're the ones that are really just a step ahead of everybody on how we care for the care for these babies. So um, for women that take short-acting opioids like heroin, um, in particular heroin, babies can have withdrawal that comes on rather fast and onset and can be, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of fast and furious. And then, um, you know, even women that are in recovery and are doing really, really great with medication-assisted treatment, um, their babies can also have neonatal abstinence syndrome. Um, When I say medication-assisted treatment, I really mean that's kind of the gold standard for taking care of women with opioid use disorder. Um, Those are medicines like methadone, buprenorphine, more sort of uncommon medications like um, naltrexone or Vivitrol, Sublocate, all of these are really an emerging, you know, for lack of sort of an emerging field in addiction medicine. Methadone goes all the way back to the 1970s and actually has been used in pregnancy and has the most data. Um, We're seeing more of a trend towards buprenorphine um, or Subutex or Suboxone in pregnancy. Um, We know that those babies that are exposed to that can also have neonatal abstinence syndrome, and they need to be monitored for quite a while as sort of a minimum of five to seven days because that withdrawal, since it's very long-acting, takes kind of a longer time to show itself. So um, things that we do here that are really great, um, we actually use a lot of complementary things aside from giving babies medication. So a lot of our babies stay out of the NICU. That's actually something that, you know, we really work on. And um, I tell moms, like, there's a very real chance that your baby will have neonatal abstinence syndrome because if you're on one of these medications, either MAT or an opioid, there's a 50 to 80% chance that your baby will have withdrawal symptoms. And unfortunately, we just can't decide which babies that's going to be. There's no way for us to know ahead of time. It's not related to dose. It's not dose dependent. Um, And so really, we just have to do sort of intensive monitoring. Um, Things that we do to try and keep babies from needing medication after delivery, you know, the biggest things are things we do for any mom. We encourage skin-to-skin contact. We encourage swaddling. Um, Giving a pacifier can be very helpful, Um, you know, and even just kind of close, constant contact movement with mom are all things that have been shown in studies to be really, really helpful. So um, we also have great ancillary support here with physical therapy and occupational therapy, teaching moms how to do baby massage, which can actually um, ease withdrawal symptoms. And sort of that whole package together, we ha- we do a really good job keeping babies from needing um, morphine or anything else to help with withdrawal symptoms. You mentioned medication-assisted treatment for opioid use disorder, and that even... Um, 
pregnant people who are on that sort of treatment plan, um, their babies might still be born with neonatal abstinence syndrome. Uh, so I guess my question is, why do why do we still keep people on that treatment plan knowing that there is still a pretty high risk to um, their baby being born with NAS? Yeah, that's a great question. And actually, I think this is where a lot of women get confused because they're like, I'm in recovery, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing, and still this is something that might happen. And really, the I always come back to the same two words, harm reduction. And so all of it is about harm reduction. Like I said, the opioid use itself is not necessarily the danger to the pregnancy. It's the risky behaviors that come along with it. And sort of all those things that we associate with um, opioid use disorder, like preterm labor, small for gestational age infants, um, really have more to do with the chronic relapse and withdrawal cycle than they do with the use itself. So if we can get women on medication-assisted treatment, then you know we know that they have better outcomes. We know that their babies do better. They may have neonatal abstinence syndrome, but that's a self-limited phenomenon, whereas finding stable housing, keeping jobs, um, not engaging in risky sexual behavior, all of those things that are so crucial to recovery um, just go better when they're on medication-assisted treatment. Not to mention we don't have to worry about the presence of other illicit substances. You know, just because you buy heroin on the street doesn't necessarily mean it's just heroin. Um, and it can be laced with other things. You're still engaging with, you know, maybe people that aren't the most supportive to your recovery by engaging in those behaviors. So it's really all about harm reduction at the end of the day. In our department and in our health system here, you uh, recently started a program called Fresh Beginnings, and it's a, a one-day training, right, for mm -hmm. um, yeah. pregnant people who are going through opioid use disorder treatment. Mm -hmm. What kinds of um, lesson plans and services do you offer for the people who come and take this class? Yeah, so right now we're doing this once a quarter. I would love to expand it to be more frequent if we can get the patient population for it. And what the Fresh Beginnings class is, is it's a sort of one-day shebang. We call it the baby shower because we have lunch, we have a diaper raffle, we have some prizes for our ladies that come and work with us. And it's kind of an all-around everything you need to know about what your baby's going to go through once you deliver. I think, you know, providers try to do a good job anticipating questions, but it's so hard when you have 15 minutes to sit down with a mom and you have to worry about her pregnancy. Oh, and by the way, you're on methadone, so you have to do this after, and your baby's going to stay for five days. Because if you don't deal with it all the time, sometimes you don't even know what questions to anticipate. So... I think this class is really great because we have people from every specialty coming to help us. So anesthesia talks about pain control during the labor and delivery experience, which from my previous work with this patient population is probably their biggest concern. Are you going to let me be in pain just because of this? And I think that's twofold. I think they this is an honest question because they are well aware of the fact that they're at risk for relapse, but they also are well aware that they're opioid non-naive and pain can be hard to control. So um, in conjunction with our acute pain service, they meet with anesthesia and we kind of go over that ahead of time. Um, that way we, we send a very clear message that we will not let you be in pain. We respect you and we want to treat you um, as any other patient and control your pain while also respecting the fact that you are at risk for relapse and kind of help minimize that for you in your mind. Um, we also have lactation come and talk about all the great things that breastfeeding can provide. Uh, I think a lot of people are under the assumption that if they're on MAT that they can't breastfeed, and it's actually quite the opposite. That's one of those comfort and 
close bonding exercises, not to mention it's great for babies to prevent asthma and allergies and decrease diabetes down the road. And, you know, just because a woman is on methadone or Subutex, um, not only means they shouldn't do that, it means they should be encouraged to do that because it can help with neonatal abstinence syndrome. So we clarify some of those myths for our patients. Um, you know, I talk a little bit about avoiding unwanted pregnancy. The unwanted pregnancy rate in this country, unfortunately, is 50%, and in this patient population is upwards of 85%. And so maybe just taking five extra minutes to talk about that and how it affects recovery will help. Um, we also have the newborn hospitalists come and talk about NAS. And this is the thing that I think is most helpful for patients because a lot of times they hear, yeah, my baby might stay five days, but it won't be me or, you know, whatever the case may be. And I think we help reduce some of the stigma around that and we help ease their fears. I had a patient just this last time who had family coming in from all over the country and had no idea that her baby would have to stay five days. And we kind of came up with strategies together of how do we explain this to the family. And I think if I have one message to give, it's you don't have to. We can, you know, your family never has to know. This is a private thing that you're going through, and we have ways around them finding out and respecting your recovery and respecting your treatment so that, you know, you can avoid those uncomfortable situations. So even if just coming to the class helps us avoid meeting that on postpartum day one and having no plan of attack, then I think it's worthwhile. You mentioned um, stigma, and I feel like that's that could be very common and could even be um, something that would maybe make a mom feel less less inclined to disclose to some really important information to her OBGYN provider, which feels totally understandable. Um, what do you think providers can do a better job of to kind of set this patient population at ease and make sure that they're comfortable disclosing all the relevant information to make sure they're getting the best possible pregnancy care? I think it really starts at the very beginning. One thing that we can all do better for is screening. Um, this is actually a really hot topic right now is how do we screen for opioid use disorder? Because this is kind of an in-between patient population. The things that we do for adolescents maybe aren't relevant for a, a woman in her 30s, but the things that we do for an adult man for screening maybe aren't exactly the same. You know, it's really easy for women to kind of fly under the radar, I think, because they may not have health insurance until they become pregnant, and so they aren't even getting screened. Um, I think really the biggest thing we can do is implement universal screening strategies, and that's something that we're, we're trying to work on. There is research being done about what the best screening program is. Um, and then, you know, I think just treating every patient that walks in the door the same is the number one thing that we can do to reduce stigma. And I think things like the Fresh Beginnings class really help because when you hear, you know, someone fabulous like Dr. Getz with pediatrics tell you, your baby's going to go through this. It's going to be fine. We're going to get through it together. Um, and in five years, your baby will do just great. I, I think hearing that and, you know, hearing us say your nurse is your best friend, they can stop your family from coming in if you need time or, um, you know, respect your privacy and maintain your privacy. And um, I even have the residents stop by sometimes and just say hi, because I'm like, you might see this person in triage. And, you know, we just want you to know that we're all on the same team. I think all of those things help. Um, and for me, at the end of the day, it's all about just treating every patient with the same dignity that we would treat a patient that didn't have opioid use disorder, because really what stops people from getting care, in my experience, is feeling that they'll be judged or that we're just waiting to call social services to take their baby away or 
anything of that nature, if we can head that off at the pass, then I think women are so much more likely to rely on us. Thank you so much for talking with me about this. Absolutely. September is Gynecologic Cancer Awareness Month. On the next Women's HealthCast, we will learn about cervical cancer, the third most common type of gynecologic cancer, from Summer Wallace. Dr. Wallace is a gynecologic oncologist in the UW Department of OBGYN. The Women's HealthCast is a production of the UW-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. You can find the Women's HealthCast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you like to get podcasts. And of course, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WISCOBGYN. Please let us know how we're doing, rate and review us on your podcast app, and let us know what women's health topic you'd like to learn more about. Thank you for listening.